All right, and as we pursue that call in our lives, we understand that really step one along that journey is to give ourselves away, to recognize that life and its purpose and the mission to which we're attached isn't about us. It's not just about self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction. It's not about proving anything. It's not about becoming great in and of ourselves. Rather, it's about servanthood. And that along the way, if we really want to follow Jesus, we have to follow him in all aspects of who he was. Uh, And so we love like Jesus loved. We serve the way Jesus served. Um, And throughout the month of August, we've been talking about how we can serve and and what it looks like to live a life of humility and servanthood uh, that is patterned after him. When I think about the people in my life who have impacted me, uh, the people who have been servants of which I've been a beneficiary, um, my heart is just filled with thanks, and I'm sure yours is too, when you look back and say, like, who are some of the people that served you in different moments of need? Uh, who was the person who shared Jesus with you for the first time? Uh, where have you in your life experienced God's love through other people? Those people were all serving. And, and just like we get the benefit of being able to feel that in moments when we need it, we also have the responsibility to serve and to share uh, to benefit the lives of others. And uh, I know for my wife and I, we experienced that in a major way, and I've shared about this a couple different times, but you know, nine months ago we had triplets, and um, our lives, the few months right before that and the few months right after that were absolutely crazy, as you might imagine. And uh, so many of you came forward as servants to literally do things that usually people don't do for each other. There were people at our house doing, doing our laundry. There were people holding babies and changing diapers and doing dishes and uh, running errands for us and all sorts of different things that kind of in this moment of, of overwhelming need for our family, a lot of you stepped in and served. And, and what's so fun about being a part of a church family is that you not only as we've been talking about, through the church, sometimes find ways that you can serve, but you also, when you need it, you get to be the person who is served. And, uh, and so that's what, that's what we love about our community here and all the things. And I'm sure if we were, if we were to go around the room and just compare notes and say, uh, in what way has being attached to the church given you opportunity to serve? We'd, we'd all have stories to tell. And then at different moments of either difficulty or like we experience sort of a positive problem of in our lives that when, when have you been served by the church family uh, we'd have stories to tell as well it's uh, it's neat to be it's neat to know that we're not alone and that we're on this servanthood journey together so as a way to warm up as a way to think this through a little bit i want to ask you to do something a little different than usual um, in just a minute i'm going to ask you to stand up and group up in groups of three or four as long as one of those people is not someone from your own family in that group of three or four, and to ask a question, all right? Here's the question. Who is someone you know or knew in the past who is really good at serving other people? So you think about the things we've been studying this month, and you say, you know, there, is some, there are some people that represent that really well. There are some people when I was a kid that I remember. There's people now that really represent that. People, and this could be from school, it could be from work, it could be in your own family, um, but just to kind of think through, who, were, who is someone who's really good at serving, and what made them good at serving? Like, why were they, how did they serve you? All right, so I'm going to give you a couple minutes to stand up, and you can do that now, 
Find three or four people around you and uh, someone be the first to ask the question that's on the screen. All right. By the way, I was just comparing notes with Mike Hildebrand, who's a local official, and a lot of you probably heard about the apartment fire last night, uh, Park Manor Apartments in Marion Springs. Is that, is that correct? Okay. And, uh, and so there will be some needs. That was a 20-unit apartment, so a lot of people affected. And um, Mike's going to kind of help us coordinate this, but later today on our Facebook page, we'll post ways that you can be a part of helping if you'd like to serve in a very direct and practical way uh, some people in immediate need. And uh, so hopefully shortly after the second service here, we'll, we'll get some of that up on the BCBC Facebook page, and you can go there if you're interested in donating things or helping with some of the needs that will come up. All right, um, so when we began this series, um, we learned that a few of Jesus' disciples at the, at the beginning of the ministry, they were interested in how they could become the greatest. Remember how comical it, it looked, and it still looks as we think back and say, you know, what were those guys thinking? But remember, they didn't have the benefit of the whole Bible in front of them. They were learning as they went. And so when they signed on, they might have been thinking, like, there's going to be a new kingdom, and I wonder, like, who's going to be the second in command? Who's going to be the most important? And Jesus taught them through his life and also through his rebuke to that question, hey, things are going to be different with us. As a Christian kingdom, we're not, we're not interested in, in who can become the greatest. In fact, the greatest person is the one who serves the best. And so Jesus taught and he modeled humility and servanthood at every turn, not just because he was serving us, but also to be an example for us that we would follow in his steps. And so we learned that servanthood is our only path to personal significance. There's no other way that you can matter in this life or in eternity without being a servant, because that's what you're created to do. Uh, Not to be the master, not to be the Lord of things, but instead to serve God and to serve other people. And even leadership positions, as we talked about last week, are really not about becoming great. They're actually about empowering the service of other people. And, uh, and so when we understand that in our hearts, um, the whole idea of how we function as Christians uh, takes on a different light. And I think it takes on a lot of joy because you realize you don't have to sort of fight the battles of who's the most important. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You just serve. And if you're faithful to serve and to obey Jesus and to love other people, uh, God takes care of the rest. Uh, we also learned a couple weeks back that each of us has a shape And that shape is an acronym that relates to our spiritual gifts and our heart desires and our personal abilities and our personal traits, like our personalities, and also the experiences that God has given us and how all of that adds up into something unique, something that some way that you can serve that no one else can serve in that exact way. And so you look at your life and you realize, you know, I'm a humble servant, I'll do whatever God asks me to do, but God has actually given me a role to play in the church family, in his body. And if I don't play my part, then the body suffers because I'm the only one who can do what I've been entrusted to do. And, uh, and so here's a verse that relates to that that I'd like to introduce to you this morning, and particularly the bold phrase in the middle. So here's the phrase. This is to the Church of Galatia, which was a church that was kind of struggling with the transition between following the Old Testament law and the people that had grown up in a Jewish context were used to that, And as people started coming to faith in Jesus, and especially non-Jews who were coming to Jesus, the the, the big question of the day was, how much of the Old Testament do we have to stick with, and how much of it are we sort of free from? 
And the book of Galatians is a book of freedom to say you're free from the law. You're free from having to follow all of these specific commandments. But that freedom isn't just a license now to do anything you want. It's actually a release to do something even more important than just following rules. So here's what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that bold phrase in the middle, I think is a really interesting word choice by the Apostle Paul here. Um, The word serve in this context, if you look it up in Greek, you realize that that same word is also the word slave. It's, It's subjection. It's slavery in a sense. And so what's strange is that he would say to use your freedom like you're free now, but don't use it to do anything you want and just satisfy yourself. Use your freedom to become a slave to other people, to serve other people, to put them first instead of yourself. When you use your freedom that way, you honor Jesus. You're you're not whipped into submission. You're not forced into doing the right thing. Instead, you're willingly coming and saying, I'll serve you. I don't have to. I want to. Out of the love in my heart, because of my gratefulness for all that Jesus has done for me, now I want to serve others. So we discover that Jesus has come to set us free, but rather than just doing whatever we please, we should use our freedom in the willing, love-motivated service of God and other people. And what a joy that is. Um, When you do this, when you live this, you feel something in your heart that's kind of contagious. It's, It's it's, it's like you've just tried an amazing new food or something, and you're like, I, I want to try that again. I never want to forget that recipe. Uh, this is an amazing feeling because it, it, what it's doing is it's tapping into your purpose for life, for the reason that you were made. And when you, when you hit this target, suddenly you realize that this is the kind of life I would much rather pursue, being motivated by love, not all about myself, instead serving, loving, giving, showing hospitality, being there for other people, serving Jesus, honoring him. Uh, that's what it's all about. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And what I'd like to do is spend a little bit of time in a parable that Jesus told about servanthood. Now the parable uh, is a part of a set of three parables all listed together. Um, and, and these parables all relate to the future kingdom. So it's kind of as people are looking out ahead going like, what's next? How does the, how does the kingdom of heaven work? What should we expect? You know, Jesus is, is kind of at a loss for words in a sense because our minds can't fully comprehend what eternity looks like. So through a series of parables, little stories, Jesus illustrates different kingdom principles for us. And, and in this set of three in Matthew 25, we, we first learn about the, the idea of being ready for the kingdom. That's the first parable. The last one has to do with the sheep and the goats and how the sheep are the people who actually love Jesus and the, there are goats who are kind of a bunch of fakes. And in, in the last day, those will be separated. And no one whose heart wasn't in it will actually be there around Jesus' throne because Jesus knows the truth about what's in our hearts. But here's this parable in the middle that starts in verse 14. And it's an investment parable. So here's how it begins. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. The servant who had received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. Now, if you think of it, we don't generally carry bags of silver around. And when we're going on a trip, we don't hand our money off to someone else to be kind of our manager because we have all this sort of automated in our system. So a lot of us, in effect, are doing this with our 401ks or different investments you might make. Or if you're a business owner, when you entrust management to someone, that's, that's you sort of being like this, this owner, this master in this parable, and handing someone else a, a trusted responsibility to make something of the investment. And so just like if you have your investment advisor, you kind of hope that someone out there is doing something productive with the money that you put into the system. Well, here it's just a really personal version of that in this parable. Literally, he hands these people money and says, I want you to, while I'm gone, make something of this. And so the sky's the limit here, right? I mean, these, they, could, they can do different kinds of investments, different deals. They could do different, you know, cultivate. Maybe they buy a field and grow something. But the idea is, I'm going to be gone for a long time. I can't manage my own affairs while I'm gone. So here, make something of all this wealth that I have. You get five bags to start with. You get two. You get one. And then he leaves. So what does the first guy do? The one with five. Well, it says, I mean, he invested, he cultivated, he got right into it, and he earned five more. I mean, he doubled the investment. That's pretty neat. Then you look at number, or verse 17. With the servant of two bags of silver, he also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and so I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Which is interesting. To the servant... The five bags of silver was likely a large amount. Uh, that was probably a lot more money than he had. But to the, to the master, it was a small thing. The master has a lot of other things going on. The business is a lot bigger than just that little aspect. And so when he saw faithfulness with a small thing, the master says, this is the kind of guy I want on my team long term. This is the guy I want to give more responsibility to in the future. So now the second man approaches. He had received two bags of silver. He came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and see, I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. The master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. 
If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant or gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have earned some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this one servant and give it to the one who has ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. They will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there's a lot of questions and answers we could do with this text. A lot of things to explore about the story and some of the parallels to our lives. But I think one of the intents of Jesus here was that we would see ourselves in the story. And just kind of ask the obvious question, which servant am I? Uh, And what will the result of my life be? So a couple things to notice. Here's one. The ineffective, unfaithful servant. Uh, What do we know about him? Well, he was motivated by fear and selfishness. And most of all, it seems like he had an aversion to hard work. Um, Here's why I think that. If If you think about, the master was gone for a long time. Okay? These were servants of that master. Maybe in our day we could say these are sort of the employees of the business. Employee one and employee two both doubled the money that they were given when the master was gone. What did the third guy do? He dug a hole. He put the money in it. How long would that have taken? Say 10 minutes for a decent-sized hole. He put the money in, cover it up, pat it down. 15 minutes maybe, right? Now what did he do for like the months that followed? While the other guys were out tending the fields, working, making new deals, you know, making sure the investments were growing, what was this third servant, this third employee doing with all of his time? Just spending it on himself, apparently. Watching Judea's Got Talent. I don't know. Not to pick on the people who do that. I like those too. But somehow he filled months of time and had absolutely nothing to show for it at the end. So it wasn't that this guy had tried really hard and his, his plan just didn't work out. I don't actually think he would have been chided for that in the same way. I mean, it wasn't like he made a bad investment and, you know, oh man, let's learn our mistakes from that and like, let's try to do better next time. He literally did nothing with all of that time, with with the investment of his master. He did nothing, which shows you a lot about his heart, shows you a lot about who he was actually serving. Certainly wasn't the master that he was bonded to serve. So that's what we know about him. How about the other side? The effective, the faithful servants, they went to work right away. I see that in verse 17. Notice how it words it there. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. It wasn't just like, let's sit down and talk about like, wow, our master gave us this money. No, he, I mean, just right away. Like, let's not lose any time. Let's go right to work. In fact, if you think of it, if the master had stayed away longer, what would have happened to these investments? They would have kept growing. So, you know, if the, if the trip had been 10 times as long, Maybe the investments would have grown 10 times as much because they were working. In fact, maybe it would have been more than that because they'd get some compounding interest curve going and 
the sky's the limit, right? I mean, if you've got hard workers that, are, that can double the money in some number of months, imagine what would happen if they were given responsibility for years. But that third servant, no matter how long the master stayed away, what would he have had? Just the original amount, just the money buried in the ground. No growth potential. Nothing to show for all that time. So, the effective, faithful servants went to work cultivating and investing right away. They lost no time in doing it. And obviously their work was then rewarded by Jesus. Not just a reward like here's a jewel or something, but a reward like now you get to step up. Now, you, now there's so much more I can do because I know you're faithful with little. So what I'd like to do for a couple minutes here is a thought project. Thought project that I, it's, you have to do this in your own imagination. I want to imagine with you that we are actually at the throne of Jesus in this moment and something kind of like the story unfolds and we come before Jesus and we lay the fruit of our lives in front of him like he invested us, he invested in us, our gifts, our abilities, our timeline, uh, all of our connections, all of our resources. I mean, he gave us all of that. We had our lifetime to work with it and now we come and we approach and we hand back whatever our life has added up to. In that moment, what will Jesus say to you and to me? I don't know how far in the future we're thinking right now. You imagine maybe a hundred years and we'll all be there? Maybe some of you younger kids, if you're really the lucky ones or something, maybe we say 150 years, 200 years for sure, we're all there, okay? Um, and, and there we are, like, laying the fruit of our lives in front of Jesus, like, Lord, you gave me 20 years on earth. Lord, you gave me 85 years on earth. You, you gave me 116 years on earth. Whatever he, I had that, here's what it added up to. So the first thing we could imagine is to put our name in this blank. Jesus looks at us and says, well done, your name. My good and faithful servant, you were faithful in handling the small amount while you were on earth. Now I will give you many responsibilities in my heavenly kingdom. Let's celebrate together a life well lived. Now imagine in that moment, like you're still taken aback by this. I mean, I'm imagining everything about heaven is going to surprise us and blow us away and be bigger and cooler than we expected. But here we're taking this in and Jesus is actually saying to you and to me, like, well done, with the way that you use the life I gave you. Your friend is standing next to you, and they lean over and they whisper like, wow, Jesus just commending you personally. What did you do during your life that made him say that? So what do you think the answer to that would be? Say, well, wow, I, when I had opportunity, I served people, or I loved people, I followed what the Bible said, I I, I, I didn't think about myself. I try not to waste time. I, I maximized the days I was given. Uh, I went right to work when I realized there was a job to do. Now let's imagine the other side. Let's flip it. Let's say we're the third servant. So we're in that same glorious moment. Jesus says you, your name, Wicked and lazy servant, you did nothing with the investment that I made into you, and you have nothing to show for the life that I entrusted to you. And then a scary question to answer, what did you do 
during all of that time, with all that I gave you, where is it? I wouldn't want to be one of the ones having to stutter and come up with an answer to that question. So now imagine the friend is still next to you, and they lean over to you this time, and they say, man, you're really in trouble. What did you do during your life that made Jesus say that? And I don't know what the answer would be. I frittered away all of my time. When I was productive, I was really just doing it for me, not for him or for anyone else. I spent a lot of time being amused, a lot of time playing, but it didn't add up to anything. Obviously, this is one of those scenarios where we get to choose today where we want to end up someday. I'm grateful for that, right? I mean, we're not there yet. We're not in the moment right now. But we look ahead and we go, hey, 150 years from now, probably less for most of us, this moment will come. And with whatever heartbeats we have remaining, we want them to be good investments for the Lord who gave them to us. So that everything in our lives adds up to something. And we weren't an ineffective, useless servant, but rather we were good and faithful with the task at hand. I think this is especially true um, when you think in your own life, all the investment that's been made into you, not just by the Lord, but think of all the things that have, that have come together to make you who you are today. Even all the other people, some of them in the room who have invested in you. The fruit of their investment comes through in your life. So here's a couple questions we could ask. Well, first of all, what has God invested into you? I look at it as an American and go, not only do I have, just life itself is an incredible blessing, right? But you could go around the world and find other places where people don't have as much material wealth or prosperity. They don't have as much liberty as I might have. And so I could look at that and go, not only do I have a responsibility, but I might have more responsibility than average as far as world history is concerned. That there are a lot of people out there who don't have nearly the head start that I've been given. And so I say, thank you, Lord, for all those blessings. But I also recognize those are responsibilities. As if maybe I'm the one who was given five bags of silver, not just two. Maybe you're that way as well. So how are you honoring him and loving others with that investment? And what returns have you seen so far? Something fun about serving Jesus is that I don't think you see most of the returns in front of you in this lifetime. Uh, There are things that you might have done to serve the Lord 10 years ago that you don't even remember right now that are still bearing fruit, like seeds you planted that are still growing out there somewhere, and you have no idea what the impact of your life could be or has been or what will be. But each moment, you want to be faithful as a servant to keep honoring Jesus, keep loving other people, keep planting those seeds, uh, so that eventually what your life adds up to is a lot more than what it started with. I'd like to do... um, I'd like to have a little prayer time here, but I'll need your help for it. A little responsive reading. And this responsive reading isn't just a response to this text today, 
But really, through the whole month of August, we've been talking about how to be a servant, what it looks like. I just thought it might be good to make a little bit more of a commitment so that it's not just good intention, but we're actually saying, okay, Lord, I'm in to be your servant. So what, what I'd like you to see is I'm going to read the bold print or the, the top titles here, and I'd like you as a whole congregation to respond with what you see in italics. Now, there'll be a few different slides that'll come up, and, and I would say this, don't read these if it's not in your heart. I don't want you to lie uh, if you're not there yet, uh, but if you're where I am and you'd say, you know, I really do want to maximize my life for Jesus, and I really am ready to say I'm all in for his mission, uh, then you can join me in reading these things, all right? So let us not lose the vision. God has given us a purpose and mission in life. Let us not lose any time. God's investment into us could be bearing fruit even now as soon as we put it to work. Let us take responsibility. God has given us all a unique job to do in the church family and in the world. Let us serve and empower one another. We only succeed in service if we do it in connection with others. Let us seize this opportunity. There is so much we can do, so many places we can invest, so many people we can love. And let us look forward with gladness. There will be a day when we are rewarded for our service to Christ, when he says, well done, good and faithful servants. So that's our prayer. Lord Jesus, we commit this to you. We know that we've all been entrusted with some value. You've made an investment into each one of us. Each breath, each heartbeat, every part of our body, everything we own, it all belongs to you. And we get to manage it for some amount of time. Our prayer, Lord, is that the longer we live, the greater that investment will grow. The more days on earth we get to have, we get to enjoy, the more we can make of them. So Lord, whether our days will be many from this point forward or few, help us to use every minute and make it count. We look forward to doing that as servants who aim to be good and faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you. See you next week.